Welcome friends. Today we are uh, again back in gender equality talks and we have a very special guest from Malaysia, uh, a legend in gynecology and obstetrics, Professor Dr. K. Balanathan. He is the president of Obstetrical and Gynecological Society of Malaysia Welcome, friends. Today and uh, head of the department of uh, obstetrics and gynecology uh, at the hospital Sibarang Jaya in Malaysia. So welcome, Dr. Balanathan. Thank you for okay. finding time for us. Okay, fine. Just let me, I think it's a bit dark. Can you see? Uh, yes. Okay, that's better. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay, now it's a bit better. Right. Okay. Sorry for that. So, all right. So, Dr. Balanathan, we know that your time is so precious and um, you, you are so dedicatedly helping people heal and uh, save lives. Um, so st straight to the question, Sazab, can, can you please uh, let us know about the uptake of family planning in Malaysia, successes and challenges? Uh, over to you, sir. Okay, for the uptake, I think we have come a long way since those days. I think with now with the advent of whatever we have, like you and me are talking on the internet and all that, the information that for the public is there, okay? Not only there, like our society also goes, we have our subcommittee, which also looks into contraception, which we have uh, seminars, uh, webinars, sessions, uh, workshops and all that. Apart on top of that, there's also the, uh, what we call uh, LPPKN, which is a body that looks into this, which is a government, semi-government body, uh, looks into reproductive contraception. And the government is, so, is very into this, because like you see, contraception, I think, it should be given to any lady that comes up and asks you for contraception. I, there should not be a no. Somebody should not be saying no. Um, well, saying that, well, the country has moved progress uh, tremendously forward. We are, we are providing it even in our health clinics, in our hospitals and all that. Even in my, I'm the hospital, which we have a particular day dedicated to contraception. That means it's not only a walk-in, it's also by referral. So anywhere at any time, these ladies can come up and usually the easiest place is the health clinics. Actually, the health clinics has helped a lot because they provide this contraception uh, advices, especially to young ladies that come for other follow-ups or they come for pap smear or they, they even antenatally. From antenatal itself, they will say that postpartum, you know, you try to space your pregnancy and uh, this is how it should go. And at least... Uh, your, your number of uh, how many uh, times you want to deliver or how many child you want to have and we can help you plan all that so it's planned and i would actually in malaysia because it's under the ministry of health which i'm part of that and we have seen that most of the women are happy with the advice given and the i, I would say the number of contraception has increased dramatically and with the advent of internet actually the patients themselves come to us and ask about the contraception. Do you have this or do you have this, the latest things and all that. So that is good. I think the internet has done wonders, especially in this COVID uh, pandemic that we had the past two years. Um, they, they, there's a lot to be learned. And we do also the past two years, we were having webinars that means online, they go, they can hear to our uh, doctors giving them advice. 
Right. Thank you, Balan. Uh, and totally agree, sir. Uh, like, you know, the role of internet and other new emerging tools is, uh, is uh, if, if, if used properly and, and for positive contribution, it is definitely making a change. Uh, glad to hear that uh, the progress which Malaysia is making. Uh, is adolescent pregnancy or unintended pregnancy still a challenge? And uh, how, how, how do you recommend overcoming it? Okay, that yeah. unintended pregnancy, yes, it's still a challenge with us because it's unintended. I think anywhere also when it's unintended, it becomes a challenge to the actually to the young lady. Where do they go from that point onwards? Do they go forward or what to do? Where can I help and all that? So to prevent this, actually, we should start in schools itself. Usually it's secondary schools advising them. But saying that there's always a, a fear among people that you start advising young people about contraception. The fear is they might be, become sexually active, which I think we should see it in a, a different light. That means I would say that, look, we want to prevent unintended pregnancies because when once the young lady has got pregnant, a lot of problem arises from it. And eventually, if she cannot handle it, there's a chance that you know they might even contemplate suicide because there's no help. So I would suggest rather I would rather prevention rather than cure. So I would say that we have to start in the secondary schools. At least they know about reproductive sex and then how to be responsible and where they can go for help actually to get this advice. There should be a method, a methodology where I know. Sometimes it's taboo in certain countries that young ladies go and ask for this. Uh, you are looked down upon. But I think in this near in this age place, I think that should not be the way. We should be thinking forward. We do not want unintended pregnancy because we want these young ladies to be productive. And they, they spend more time in school, in universities, rather than you know getting pregnant at an early age. And it disrupts a lot of things. Also, economic, also, they will be down. So if you look in that sense, then I think you would advocate to these young ladies about contraception. Not only the ladies, both male and female need to be advised. What are the precautions needs to be taken? I know they should not be sexually active at a young age, but unfortunately, because of the internet, as I say, it can be a tool. It's both sides. It's destructive and it's also constructive. So if you say constructive, then let's help them in a way that they understand their own body because they are still growing. They will, if you do not advise them, they are going to find out somewhere. And it's bad when they find out from their peers because their peers might give them, you know, false advice or, you know, the advice is really not good. They say, oh, you do this, you do that, and all that. Uh, never mind, you do not have, uh, you will you'll, you'll be sexually active. You do not need contraception. You can do this or take, or uh, meets like taking in the morning after taking certain herbal uh, drinks or concoction that you make so that you don't get pregnant. I think that is wrong. I think it should be put in place to the young people. Look, if you are going to be sexually active, you need to be responsible. You have to take that responsibility and do something about it. At least practice something that is safe. We can't tell them stop being sexually active. I think that is going to be a lot of problem. Right, right. Totally uh, agreed, uh, Dr. Balanathan. Same is in our context also. Our young people uh, need to uh, rise up and take responsibility, and they are. Uh, so, which is, which, uh, let's hope that things go in the right direction. Dr. Balanathan, uh, in uh, in Indian context, like, you know, and I, I, I guess for Malaysia as well, the number of new HIV infections are um, are declining, but not declining as fast enough as 
they should to end AIDS by 2030. Uh, but at the same time, the the number of sexually transmitted infections uh, often go under the radar, but they are very, very alarming in India in some contexts. So I just wanted to have your insights on uh, in Malaysian context on Thanks. HIV and STIs and uh, what more can be done to prevent them. Over okay. to you, sir. I totally agree with you that HIV, yes, it's under control, but you do see new cases coming up and all that. But uh, it's, well, there are so many causes for it. It's not only sexual habits or whatever, but it's also like drug addiction or whatever. There are other ways of transmission. Okay, but by and large, it's still sexual habits. And um, like you say, we need to decrease it or put it uh, to help these people. So we would need to advise by... Uh, contraception and STIs, like you say, sexually transmitted uh, infections and all that. It's actually, if you ask me, what should be done is more of uh, giving them education, education that what can happen if you do not take uh, possible precautions. By right, I think if you look at all the holy book, they would say that you don't have uh, interaction uh, with the, the other sex until you are married and all that. I have to agree with that. But by and large, in this new age, um, well, everybody is curious. They start to try new things. Then they, they might have, the worst thing is they might have multiple partners. And they have multiple partners, then you're going to have a real problem. So I think it comes down back again to education. The person themselves, if they're having multiple partners, then they know they didn't take precaution like barrier methods or whatever sorts of contraception. Actually, in these settings, in this STI or HIV, you ask me, it's more barrier method or contraception. It prevents the infection from either you getting it or preventing the, those people passing it on to you and all that. So in that context, the young lady or male or whoever it is have to understand how is it transmitted first. And how can you prevent this transmission? And if you, well, the best answer to give them is abstinence, but I don't think that's going to work. And this, this day and age, if you tell them abstinence, you say they will send you to the uh, nunnery or what, you become a nun or a pastor or whatever. But I, I think we, we have to engage with them, tell them, look, it's not that we are against you having sexual intercourse, but have it in a protective way so that you don't get these diseases, which in the long run, you would be less productive because it will affect you. Because if you see all this HIV, STIs, in the long run, it affects you. Uh, it comes back and later on in life, then only you'll be looking at, look, look, I should have done um, something better rather than uh, um, just with whatever I'm doing now. So again, I think the, the for us, the policies are there. You see, for the transmission and all that, the Ministry of Health, they've come up with guidelines how to go about. Um, to decrease this transmission and educating people, having the health staff themselves to be well educated in how to talk to these young people when they come in or some whoever it is, it doesn't have to be young. That means, you know, when you're having this can happen and what to do, how to prevent it rather than it has happened and now I have to start treatment for this patient, which is a bit cumbersome, not to say we can't, but the cost, you see, as always, if you ask anyone, prevention is better than cure, the cost is less when you when you do prevention rather than cure because you can have education you can have roadshows to tell them what can 
Yes, totally, totally agree. Totally agree. Prevention must always be a, you know, one of the important cog in the wheel for, uh, you know, in our response. And uh, coming on that, sir, uh, I wanted to congratulate uh, you and Malaysia for eliminating mother to child transmission of HIV and syphilis. Uh, I think it's four year or five years now. Uh, I hope the status is still maintained. And can you share some insights for other countries uh, like India, uh, which are progressing towards that towards elimination but uh, i think that there's a long way uh, still to that journey yeah, and thanks for congratulating us because yes we the ministry of health actually has put this in place a long time ago when when the union specialist itself this was in place how to avoid the transmission from mother to child so you initially when you diagnose the mother they said who's pregnant or the ladies are pregnant then what you need so we have got it we have brought in like uh we have a same sitting we sit with the id uh, infectious disease specialists and then we decide because usually it's looking at the viral load and also what treatment can we give a pregnant mother because most of the time we fail to recognize that in the first, for the first time we are seeing this uh, lady who's with HIV is when she's pregnant and she does not know that because it is, in Malaysia it is compulsory that all the, those that are pregnant then we do all this uh, biohazard screening. That means all the infection disease. We've got HIV, we've got hepatitis B, we have got BDRL, and sometimes hepatitis C if it's indicated. So by the time they come to in to the clinics in, in our government clinics in Malaysia, because we have a written book, but we call it an antenatal book, which these investigations are done and written there. So if one fleet, we will know whether there is a problem. So when there's a problem, they are referred to the respective. Like I say, HIV, yes, we get the infectious disease physician on board. So they will start treatment and they will know what antiviral or retroviral to give because these persons are pregnant. And we, we have seen with what this infectious disease physician have done that we have seen that they actually the viral load prior to this lady's delivery it's actually very, very, very low. And initially, in, in most of our settings, is uh, the, the the thing to do was if a pregnant a lady was pregnant and she's retroviral or HIV positive, or she would immediately get a caesarean section. But throughout the years, as we learned from our colleagues, ID physician and all that, it has come to a stage that they have they believe that if the viral load is too little, it doesn't matter whether you do a caesarean section or vaginal delivery. So that advice actually will come from the ID physician when they're happy and they find that when the pediatrician follows up the baby or whatever is old there's no infection like you see the mother to child transmission the other thing we have done like you say vdrl yes now we are very into this because we make sure that these people are treated because they also the same time you see when they come they're pregnant then only they, they do all the screening and they have found they have uh, VDRL uh, TPK positive. So we ensure that they get treated during their pregnancy. That means during the antenatal with their benzetic penicillin doses and all that, weekly 2.4 omega unit for three weeks at least. But it's depending also on the dilution. So once we confirm, yes, it's on board and um, we do. And the other thing that we have done recently is for those. Um, we do have a lot of migrants here, the immigrants and all that. They don't come for pull-up. Sometimes they just come and deliver. So for these kind of people, before they go back, we have to make sure they don't have HIV or any STIs, the VDRL. If they have, then we have to start treatment. So we have come to this and uh, ministry, like you say, you're absolutely correct. Been, it's down to zero. Like I think recently in Bangkok, they had a meeting that they, they've 
pointed out rightly, inflation has come down tremendously, it's come down to zero, and we want to keep it at that. So again, I think our this is the part of our doctors that has to be aggressive. Because for retroviral or HIV, as you, you say, sometimes the mothers know prior to pregnancy. But most of it, I can say about 90%, they find that when they're pregnant, only they find out they're retroviral positive. So it's a bit depressing to them. How did they get it? Uh, who is to blame? A lot of that is initially, and they, they, they don't believe initially, but after a while, it, you know, it sinks in, and that's when we need to be aggressive, treat them with all our antiretroviral, get the ID vision. So we have you need a combined clinic, as you say. So this combined clinic is where we see all these kinds of uh, HIV-related cases or STI cases. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for, for this. And let us hope that other countries also, you know, follow suit in this region and globally, like, uh, you know, there is no reason for any child to be born with HIV in this age with so medicines and technology and tools available and evidence, which Malaysia has already shown. So, uh, Dr. Balanathan, I wanted to have your insights on a very major uh, public health uh, challenge, as you know, is antimicrobial resistance. So is anti-resistance to antibiotics, antiviral, antifungal, antiparasitic posing a challenge in the field of obstetrics and gynecology? I wanted to uh, learn more about this and also uh, like, are, for instance, like is sexually transmitted infections, for example, are they becoming difficult to treat? or uh, use of antibiotics during cesarean or other procedures uh, like how 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 amr is impacting um, the health and how can we curb curb it if it's a problem over to you sir okay uh, thank you very much so antimicrobial resistance yes that's a, a worry to most of us especially when we are physicians and all that when we need to treat when we know there's a bacterial infection but thanks to whatever we have put forth we have come up with protocol that means like you say the season section yes we have certain antibiotic it's just prophylactic that means a one dose and it will do because we have got a protocol in place even um, with all these even the obstetric um, guidelines are there the ministry of health they say that if your season section this is the antibiotic of choice and you give a dose uh, that should be it okay uh, but saying that yes we do see some that has antimicrobial resistance but i think we do adhere to the policies and protocol where if you're going to start antibiotics on a patient you should complete it that's one um, STI infections, if you say difficult STI infection, so basically what we do see is like hepatitis B or VDRL, TPHA, syphilis, which we usually correlate either with the ID physicians or sometimes the dermatologists come into play because of the um, uh, VDRL or syphilis is in play because you know, congenital syphilis is not, I think, we have not seen for a long time. I think if you ask me, I've read it in textbook, whether I've seen touch wood, I've not seen it. So that means we have been good. That means we have clearly, like you say, eradicated it. But there's always a worry about antimicrobial resistance because we, we should tell our young doctors that, you know, sometimes how we, we start treatment of the antibiotic issue by, be by escalating rather than de-escalating because some of them are in the, uh, thinking that, you know, when you start, you need to hit them hard, start with the topmost antibiotic and then come down, which I think is wrong because we have policies um, in obstetrics. We do have policies for these pregnant ladies or gynae or whatever. That means certain infection, this is what are the antibiotics of choice. We start off with this and then we escalate. And usually with whatever antibiotic, 90% of the time, 
we are able to treat them is only when we find that the infection is um, not uh, not under control is when we usually ask our ID physician's uh, opinion, which they come in and tell us directly. So if you have a good collaboration with your ID physician and you have policies and protocol in place, I can bet you that you, you don't have to worry about this antimicrobial resistance. But we do sometimes see this antimicrobial resistance, which is a worrisome. It is worrying, actually. So I hope in the future, well, to say we completely eradicate antimicrobial, I don't think we can because with the number of antibiotics coming up or different diseases or different um, uh, and uh, what, uh, what is bacteria or whatever, we are going to see it. It will be still remain there, but we should be able to keep it at a minimum. That's what I would say. Right, right, totally. We should uh, all make efforts to keep antimicrobial resistance to as minimum or as less as possible. We can't afford to lose drugs that work and that save lives. Uh, Dr. Balanathan, uh, what about tuberculosis? Is tuberculosis uh, a challenge and is like and how it impacts obstetrics and gynecology? Like, uh, do pregnant women come or women or uh, you know, they show up with TB? Genital tuberculosis, for instance, is a problem in India. Uh, so, just wanted to have your insights on that. Thank you. Okay, tuberculosis is a good question because um, we actually have managed to eradicate it, but unfortunate to us, the immigrants have come in, not to blame them. Maybe they were not like us. Uh, every uh, When we have a child like me, I've got my BCG inoculation. So, actually, I've got that during my primary school. They come, there is a health uh, officers and healthcare workers that come to the school and make it a point to start this inoculation. So actually, we totally eradicated it. But in the last few years, we are seeing a resurgence. Okay, Resurgence uh, where we do have in gynae, especially gynae, if you tell me, ask me, I, I, I have seen not really genital, but it's when I'm doing lab because I'm a minimalist invasive surgeon. So when I do my laparoscopic surgery, sometimes because I do not know what is the cause of the SITs and we find that starts all over and we take a biopsy and find out that at the end it's tuberculosis. So we are trying because the patient has come in fever, having pain, abdominal pain, distended and all that. So these are the things that we find. Um, we are fortunate in the, even in the hospital where I, I work in, we have a respiratory physician. So most of those ladies who are pregnant and have tuberculosis are attended by them. So what we do is, if, um, and how we detect, well, especially now we, we have this protocol that say if a person is having more than two weeks of cough and all that, so they are immediately sent to somewhere where they can be tested, uh, doing the test, mental test or whatever, and then once they're positive or whatever, or if they come, they sputum. them, uh, usually we look for the sputum in pregnant ladies, uh, SLI and all that, and if we find, then we send them to eye deficient. So they will start the treatment. So when they start the treatment, yes, because they know this is a pregnant lady. So they will put it, tailor it to a pregnant lady and then they will send to us. Transmission to the child, not really. We have not seen. Uh, but we have seen mothers who are, who are FDB, especially amongst the immigrants. Uh, gynecology, yes, uh, TB of the genitalia, not really of the genitalia, but it's like they have come in with it acute abdomen and all that is all in the gut. It's all studded and when we do a scope, that's when we find. So that's how we have managed to keep it at a low because we start from primary school for our own 
citizens. So all citizens, they are inoculated and you can see most Malaysian will have that BCG scar. That's why it's easy to uh, know that if you have a BCG scar on your arm, then they know you must be some country that practices this. Right, right, absolutely. And uh, so we have better vaccines, Dr. Balanathan, also <laughs> more effective ones too against tuberculosis. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Uh, what about non communicable diseases? Uh, how are they impacting uh, obstetrics and gynecare? Okay, okay. If, if you are talking about non communicable diseases, we are talking about diabetes and hypertension here. Uh, well, I think you know by now, Malaysia is the king now, right? If you look at diabetes, that the number of uh, people who are diabetic actually has risen tremendously. Reason I and you will be surprised that for even, even us that we, we find that you know most of our ladies who are pregnant are diabetic and they come and they do not know they are diabetic. And the worst thing when, when you're looking at the investigation, like we do the hemoglobin, glycosylated hemoglobin, the results will be more than 10%, which is very high. Yeah, you'll be wondering. So we do see this. So these these ladies are unaware that they're actually diabetic, and they and because they are pregnant, they come in. So there's these two diseases that we see: hypertension and diabetes. We do see a lot in these pregnant ladies, and especially when they, they know that they're pregnant, they come for the first time about eight weeks for their antenatal checkup to make their red books. That's what we call it in Malaysia, a book which they can hold with them carry with them all the story about what's happening to them, what has been done and all that. And you'll be surprised. You can get some of them already hypertensive at this stage. And uh, because of their body weight or what we do, test them for diabetes and we find that they are diabetic. Now, I'm not sure whether we have not exercised enough or the dietary intake of which way are we heading it because now we know that I think everywhere across the world that you, you can have food 24 hours part of the day and you've got grab delivery and all that anytime at home. Uh, you don't need to go out. You, they just come and uh, deliver to you. And because I think our dietary intake, it does affect diabetic and hypertension. And because of that, we have to be careful because we, we know diabetic and hypertension cause a lot of problems during pregnancy not only to the mother, to the fetus. So that's why we have to start at early age. I think, again, we have to get back educating our citizens that look, we need to have a healthy lifestyle. Uh, that means you need to not only just work or eat only, you need to exercise, get out of the house, don't sleep. I know two years of COVID was bad. Everybody was indoor. Nobody could go outside, but now everything is open up. We should go out, exercise, get uh, at least walk or whatever, and our diet. We have to look at our diet. I think we are eating out of proportion. If you ask me, it's like we are not eating our basic three meals. We are eating more than our three meals. It's in between the snacks, whatever, every, every hour something you're eating. I think we need to educate the public again here. Yes, totally, totally uh, agree on, the, on this, sir. And because it's a, it's a huge issue in our uh, country as well in India, um, uh, not only overnutrition or obesity, but also malnutrition. So, uh, but malnutrition, undernutrition as well. So, um, um, Dr. Balanathan, as you know, the International Conference of Family Planning uh, will open in Thailand uh, next week. So, we wanted to have your uh, message over to you. Okay, thank you very much for 
giving me the honor of uh, giving you a message for your international uh, contraception or family planning week conference well i think it's good to have this conference in the sense that it does not yeah, it does not update us with the latest but we also make friends i think other than going to a conference to update ourselves the other thing that's important to me is meeting friends or making friends which is by like like today like i'm speaking to you on the internet at least we can change ideas that's what it's all about actually when we go to the conference yes it's update our knowledge but meet friends and then it's even better because you can exchange ideas or you can exchange thought or exchange the way things have been done which have not um, I think if you ask me about family planning, well, we have come a long way since those days. The internet has been good. It has already provided the users what they need to do. It's just where to go and get it, who do I speak to, and how do I get this uh, family planning tools or whatever it is. And I think this conference is going to be a success because it's uh, where we sit down and see that, you know, how can we best or what can we do best for the young lady to prevent unintended pregnancy? I think that is the way forward. We are looking at preventing unintended pregnancy. And um, if we that in goal, I, with that goal, I think all of us we are going to come to this conference uh, to learn how best we can give uh, our patients better counseling and also making the collaborations or continuity of our education. And also uh, uh, what you say is, uh, making new friends and joining hands with them to help bring this problem if we can to uh, decrease it because i i agree with you if they the people know about contraception it's going to be good they know how to to live and they will be in charge this is the most important thing actually you we are by having this conference actually we are empowering the young people in their lives what to do so with that again, thank you for having me give you a message. And I was honored to be interviewed by, by you all, the Internet Family Planning Society. And uh, it's good that actually we have this collaboration. I should think that it should go on uh, further than this. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Dr. Balanath. And very important words and especially for the young people, they really need to uh, lead and uh, you know take responsibility and be in charge. As you said, we all need to be in charge of our lives and take decisions, informed decisions with responsibility. So thanks a lot. Real honor, sir, speaking with you uh, for all of us at CNS. And uh, 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 we wish you the best. Thanks a lot, sir. All the best. Thank you.